the Forward Together podcast from Hollywood Trust with Paul Gosling and Jared Dean. Welcome to the Forward Together podcast. My name is Jared Dean and I'm joined by Paul Gosling. Paul, great to see you. And you, Jared. So this podcast is a series of conversations with civic and political leaders on a range of forward-focused topics, such as increasing the civic voice, dealing with the past, and dealing with other big questions like the constitutional question. Big things, the big topics facing us here in Northern Ireland. So this episode, Paul, you met with Martina Muller. Absolutely. And uh, Martin is a Sinn Féin MLA. He's the former finance minister for Northern Ireland. And also, of course, he's a, a leading uh, businessman in uh, Belfast and Northern Ireland. OK. And like everybody else, he's a wide ranging conversation that you had with him. I find it, it was really good the way he started the interview with the fact that he's saying, we need to start listening to one another here and we need to listen to every voice. Yeah, I imagine it was pretty forthright, actually. Um, yeah, he says, let's have conversations. Let's have conversations that don't lead to division. And also, let's bring in voices that we don't usually hear. And mm. he's saying specifically a, a broader range of lawyers' voices. But also, he's saying we, we have the dissident voices within the room, within the conversations. doesn't mm. mean that we agree with people, but we need to hear a perspective of different views. I have to say, though, he's also was naming Stephen Nolan yeah. uh, as saying the type of conversations that are on Stephen Nolan's programmes and programmes like that are unhelpful and they actually lead to greater division. And we need to have, find ways in which we have political debate that don't exacerbate existing divisions. And and the point that Martin made specifically and quite powerfully was, well, there's a lot of angry people out there and you don't want to encourage angry people to get more angry. And he's suggesting that some of the way the media conversation in Northern Ireland takes place does that. Okay. Um, he did also talk about the challenge of leadership. Uh, I think he specifically referred to the challenge of leadership whenever there is an agreement between parties if you like or between partners on I suppose there's no trust there and that been a challenge yeah um, I, I think that part of the conversation works in two different ways I mean part of that was really a, a lot of criticism of the way the DUP does leadership mm-hmm. um, but the other point which uh, clearly I think has validity and it's a point which Simon Hamilton from the DUP has himself made is the fact that because Stormont doesn't operate as an assembly at the moment and because and I know this because I go to Stormont uh, several times for these interviews mm. there's very few people around in Stormont you don't bump into people typically within Stormont and that means that people from different political parties aren't bumping into each other in the corridors of Stormont and the conversations that might otherwise happen to break down the barriers to break down the cultural differences uh, aren't taking place so you're not getting that cross-party conversation taking place that would help you to make progress Mm. Um, Uh, the natural connections aren't there exactly okay well let's hear from Martin now I'm with Martin Omula, former finance minister, Sinn Féin MLA. Martin, thank you very much for being interviewed. 
start off, how do we strengthen civil society in ways that enable us to make progress? Well, Paul, thanks for the opportunity to talk to you again. Um, I think we could start by listening. It is a, a truism that you learn more, or certainly I invariably learn more by listening than by talking. Uh, I don't have all the answers in this, but I have been for 30 years of politi political activity a big believer in building community. It's the phrase I use really for uh, developing and working for the common good. Um, that has to be to the fore in our mind if we are uh, going to adopt any strategies, whether around economic development, whether around uh, providing adequate health service for our people, focusing on education, building healthy, prosperous societies. Um, I, I think we have to uh, be focused on, on, on the common good. How we do that in this often divided society, as I think the tone and timbre of the debate has to be respectful. We have to find ways of not uh, feeding the ratings a monster. Um, we have to find ways of not sectarianizing a discussion which is which is has huge sectarian elements in it. Uh, we have to find ways not always to try and have a race to the bottom in terms of the the dialogue or debate and turn it into a rant. Uh, I speak to you this morning after having been on the Nolan Live show last night. I have huge respect for Stephen Nolan. I think he is the preeminent broadcaster on the island, certainly in the north of the island. Um, but as he knows... There are a lot of angry people out there and he has to find a way to get the balance between making those people angrier uh, and uh, instead of that trying to find a way for angry people to express, to emote, to vent if necessary. But what is the purpose of us as a society trying to start this discussion and debate that you're talking about if actually all we're going to do is poke people in the eye with a stick or make people even more polarised? So when I was the mayor of Belfast, um, one of the lessons we had in the council was that Belfast City Council, when I first joined the council in 1987, I wore a flak jacket. We weren't allowed to speak. I was put out by the RUC after 10 minutes on my first night. Uh, we had um, orange juice thrown over us. We had uh, we fought, physically fought uh, DUP councillors and so on and so forth. And now it's a, a beacon of, of amity and uh, a collegial relations. And therefore, when you're being when mayor, it was easy until someone mentioned the past. And once the past was was mentioned, it was almost as if you, you entered a different, uh, a parallel universe where the tone of the debate sharpened, the unwillingness to countenance any other view uh, was, was, was to the fore, um, that the bitterness uh, came, was oozed out on, on, on all sides, uh, because Seamus Heaney said people get hurt and get hard. So for me, uh, if we are going to try and find ways to build a stronger civic society, we want to have to find ways to engage in a in a frank debate, because there's no sense a lot of blushing violets, shrinking violets, saying, oh, well, we're not going to talk about this and talk about that. So we need to find a safe space in which to do that. Uh, and, and we'll talk about that a bit later in the conversation in more detail about dealing with the past. But this issue 
you about sharing respect as part of the conversations. And uh, you know, Michelle Barnier, we're talking about Brexit, has talked about how to de-dramatize, which is quite a good word for what we're talking about here as well. But you're talking about those individual conversations, not necessarily strengthening civic society. So how to try and bring you that back to that point? But, do we do that? But, but, but we have to give leadership and anyone who engages in partisan and provocative politics and calls civic leadership is not going to do us justice. So if you want to enter the public square uh, and, and, and have 90% of the debate around the present focused on in the past, it's not going to work. Uh, if you're going to uh, refuse to listen, if you're going to refuse to turn up, so I've been in a series of debates recently with the DUP and just been AWOL, just refused to turn up. Uh, so I think the parameters of the debate are important. I also think every voice has to be heard. The mistake made in the past, I'm someone who spent six, seven years banned from BBC and uh, six or seven years banned from RT when I was a public representative. Every voice has to be heard and anyone who tries to say we're going to build an inclusive and prosperous and shared society, but by the way, here's the people who aren't allowed at the table or here's the people who aren't allowed to speak. I think that is, uh, there in lies madness, the, uh, the great poem uh, by Langston Hughes where he talks about I too sing America where he says you know um, they ask me to eat in the kitchen when company comes so we all have to be at the table as well so, so do you those, mean, those are the ground rules do you mean then for example that people who'd be classified as dissident republicans and dissident loyalists those voices should be heard as well as part well, of the debate well, well I think every voice has to be heard there also have to be ground rules you can't uh, come in and talk uh, at, the, at the table with everyone else uh, but then go outside and be selling the drugs which are damaging the East Belfast community and then insist that I have to be at the table so there are ground rules there are as when Michelle Barnier says about de-dramatising the backstop and finding ways to talk but they do have ground rules for negotiations and, and then they have also ground rules for accepting and delivering on an agreement so but actually I'm actually thinking not even, not even thinking about dissidents I'm just thinking in this normal society we're in are we going to allow everyone to have their voice and for me one of the reasons the government collapsed was that the DUP were unwilling to have all voices heard, they were unwilling to share power, they were unwilling to accept that there was another view and that other view had absolutely equal legitimacy to their point of view and when it came to matters of rights that they couldn't either shut down or shut out that point of view. But perhaps also civic society needs to be stronger in terms of the non-party political voices that are heard. Yes, uh, but even those I think need to be inclusive. You know, I, I, I've seen, as, as you know, in recent weeks, the business community has united around the issue of Brexit. Uh, but I've seen in the past on different issues where business says, no, we only have regard to profit and the success of business. Uh, and for me, that isn't enough. If, if uh, you're saying I speak for business, but I don't care about the dignity of people, I don't care about human rights, uh, I don't care about the, the, the where people get educated or equal opportunity. So uh, building civic society has to be more than saying, <coughs> excuse me, 
We're going to fund and make sure that there are enough groups to speak for everyone. If, if, uh, if people aren't willing to have a holistic view of, of whether it's business and it's people, planet and profits. Uh, but if, 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 it's not, if it's not an inclusive view, for me, that's not a strong civic society. And I mean, I've seen that in the past. I've seen strong uh, organisations from which I've been banned. Uh, even though I was an elected representative in Belfast, people said, no, we won't let you through the door. But then they would go ahead and say, but by the way, we're speaking for the greater good and speaking for all the people. Okay, so, I mean, the objective really, in a sense, is to move towards a genuinely shared and integrated society. I mean, so how do you think we should move towards that? Well, I, I think that it, it speaks for itself. Um, we have to have policies from the top which exemplify a shared approach, an inclusive approach. You can't be a leader but say we believe our partners in government are rogues and renegades. Um, you can't be a leader and say look I believe everyone should be at the table but by the way and, and all my actions I'm making sure that money only goes to certain people uh, and not other people. Um, uh, so it has to be, in my view, the most important thing is leadership. If if we have leaders in society, and I'm thinking uh, not only of politics, but I, yeah, I'm thinking about politics because that's my area of expertise or if I have any expertise at all. You can't say one thing and then your actions uh, portray another thing. And that is why, in my view, again, the government collapsed. So uh, the, the issue of leadership uh, and, and uh, delivering on your promise uh, and walking the walk is absolutely essential. So I mean, it doesn't really matter how many groups you have, it doesn't matter how many uh, voices are heard, if actually you're excluding other voices or you're engaging in a, in a, in a partisan fashion. Um, so you're asking me how it can be done. I think it's done then by, by policies which, which encourage uh, shared society, which encourage understanding, which encourage people to listen to each other. One of the fascinating things for me about the uh, about my own experience of dealing with the hurt unionist community or victims of, of IRA violence was, I thought it was very pertinent, uh, a lady said to me, you know, it's quite clear that uh, you uh, don't understand uh, the wounded unionist community and by the way they don't understand you either and uh, it does seem to me that many times when I would go into a room and talk to unionists and civic society about say the Irish language that they haven't heard a word that we've been saying around the Irish language for two years or two, two and a half years now and I'm, I'm, not, I'm not, they haven't done that deliberately but we're talking past each other so you know I can still go into rooms where people will say look get back into government tomorrow um, and, and that's it they get it done and you would say but you know we've we explained these issues and they say well, what's that got to do with us um, so there's there is a problem in this society around uh, being heard being taken on board um, not to say that people can't disagree with you but it seems to me we talk we talk absolutely past each other and, and that is one of the things that shocked me when I would meet uh, unionists two years on from the collapse of government and they'd look at you as if you have two heads about you know what are you talking about the Irish language we we you know uh, we don't understand we're to, still totally blind to, to the issues you're raising and I'm not even saying they're doing that in a vindictive way or a malicious way but we, we don't hear each other in this society 
And it's part of the problem that you, the conversations take place at too high a level, that they don't actually engage people in their communities. So that there aren't the conversations between Republican stroke nationalists and Unist stroke loyalists beyond the political representation. But, it, but it's, it's more than that because, you know, sometimes I'm out on the lag and toll path and I'll meet unionists and will stop me and talk to me. And I will realise, wow, their image of me is based on the newsletter. And they would ask me questions about, you know, that was well, what was your answer to that? And I, and I was saying, wow, no one's ever asked me that in the community in which I'm based, the nationalist, Republican, progressive community. And then you realise, hold on, there's an entire uh, cohort of people out there who get their information about you and about your uh, beliefs and your values, and they get it through a different filter. And that filter is telling them stuff which, in my view, is absolutely just crazy. But there you go. But that's then their facts. That's their uh, worldview. That's their way they regard you. So one of the interesting things when I was the mayor of Belfast, and this this shocked me, the Belfast Telegraph had a really a love in, you know, they they real love in with me as mayor. Partly because I wasn't really stretching the Republican stuff and demanding parity of esteem and 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 equality for for Republican victims and so on. So I made it I made it easy for them, whether deliberately or not deliberately, but certainly. So the Belfast Telegraph had a, a cartoon Superman Super Mayor, um, which was incredible, and it didn't really make an awful lot of difference to my voters because my voters don't read the Belfast Telegraph. But boy, did it make a difference going into rooms at tea parties, going and meeting the Presbyterian, I remember about the congregation of the Presbyterian Church at Dunkern, which was being closed, and you, you, could, you could feel all of a sudden these people said, oh, okay, this, this guy's okay, this guy's a good guy, and you realise, listen, it's, it's, it's where they get their news from, so that worked in my favour that year, So how but, but, we... but, now, but now it can work against you, because if those same papers are saying, no, listen, uh, this is someone not to be uh, believed, uh, this person is a, is a, a bad person and so there's there's a big issue for you how do how do we maybe that's, that's just life but I mean how, how do you how do you counter that you tell me well I'm asking you really in a sense how do you have those communications to break down those concepts whereby the conversations take place through a political leadership level rather than community to community well it, it seems to me that it is about meeting people but it gets more and more difficult because when you go into the room then they have a preconceived view uh, for example I have reached out to all the Presbyterian ministers in all the ministers in fact on the Armour Road and I have uh, formed relationships with some of the Presbyterian ministers in South Belfast and suggested to them that I would call in and see them and none of them took up the offer and then they came back and said well we do do a, a cross community meeting every three months to come to that I'm not against that but that wasn't what I was asking but it was clear to me that they're not they're not bad people but they were trepidatious they were fearful they thought there was an agenda there was no trust so those meetings never took place so, um, and yet, and yet, if you don't have dialogue, as our father Jerry Reynolds used to say, you know, dialogue of the heart. Uh, then, how how do you make peace with people? How do you build a shared and inclusive society? Um, I haven't worked out the way around that because, you know, I have uh, very pleased to have. Um, 7,006 votes or 6,007 votes, whatever it is anyway, but I have a good strong vote in South Belfast, so you're saying to yourself, well, you know, you're, you have enough votes there to get, to get elected, you're very strong, you deserve that base, and when you try and reach beyond that base, you're met with uh, reticence, maybe be for a better word than hostility, reticence, mistrust, and you're saying, distrust, you're saying, well, 
why why bother? And therefore, I've met in here for the last two years. I don't meet any of the young MLAs in Sinn Féin who are telling me about the cross-community work they're doing. Now, maybe they are doing that work. Of course, have no assembly as a as a real hindrance in terms of building relations among political leaders because you don't see people in the corridors or in the cafes or whatever. You don't get to know them. You don't hear them speak or anything else. Um, but I don't hear in the Sinn Féin group, I don't hear people saying, uh, I met the minister last night. Um, with the exception, as it turns out, of, of Barry McElduff, who had his own troubles, who, who was as, as MP very active and would talk about some of that stuff. So it seems to me that we are, uh, maybe it's because there's no government, we're actually in a worse place uh, than we were two years ago. I think there are, there's less dialogue and interaction. Um, and if you're asking me how to solve that, I don't know I don't know how to solve that. I'm sure people come up with a hundred ways. Uh, somebody said, we'll just pick up the phone. But um, there's less dialogue. The, the term I've used is all the bridges are down. If you ask me now to ring a DUP MLA, first of all, I don't know half of them because they were elected after the 70 election. I've never met them. The, the, you know, I maybe see I see their papers and I see their pictures in the paper occasionally, and I'm amazed. I'm saying, my God, who is this? Um, but if you ask me now, I frankly, could I ring a DUP MLA and ask them to co-sponsor an activity for uh, Inspire Mental Health or or PIPS anti suicide prevention agency? I don't have a DUP MLA I could talk to. So that wouldn't have been true in the last assembly. I don't think it'd be true if you had normal politics. So I think the bridges are down more now, Paul, than they were two years ago. And one of the well, I'll come back to stuff about about rights and social justice. But if you ask me, are we in a better place now in terms of bridge building than we were two years ago? No, I think we're in a worse place, frankly. Now, what I stopped you talking about in detail earlier, what I stopped you talking about in detail earlier was the issue of how we deal with the past, because that is one of the big challenges that we face, that this tends to break the communities apart when we talk about past events. I mean, what's your suggestion about how we deal with that in ways that don't re-traumatise people and actually take us forward rather than backwards? Well, we actually found a way through this torturous issue in the Stormont House Agreement where we said this is how excuse me, we'll deal with the legacy of the past here's the institutions if you want to seek a judicial remedy they can do that if they want to go to a truth body they can do that if it's, that's, that's more of their interest So, and, and we had the mechanisms to be actioned and of course then the, the British government wouldn't accept that because they have their own they say their own security concerns and obviously we don't believe that um, but but actually that's an example maybe that can maybe prove my point there was more progress being made up uh, slow snail's pace difficult but there was progress being made and we found a way through and we are now uh, and I, I blame the DEP for this in particular um, we've now retreated to a place where we're back back farther than the year 2000 um, with the DUP saying no no there's only one group of victims and even Tony Blair when talking about the Mace Long Cash site you know turning a, a symbol of, of violence into a symbol of peace you know now the, the DUP is really back on a a black and white uh, narrative which, which we can't accept uh, and which is not going to work because we are not going to accept that the uh, victims from the Republican or Nationalist community are in any way less 
than victims of, of IRA finance or victims of victims from, from the state. So that is that is a conundrum. We are at loggerheads, and uh, I have no uh, great uh, insights into how that is going to be put back, especially with the British government now not in a position to use positive influence in the DUP. The relationship's the other way. The, the British government's doing what the DUP tells it, and the military DUP is, is retreating in all fronts. If we went back to Eames Bradley, but instead of talking about uh, compensation, ignored that element of it, would that be uh, help with the way forward, do you think? I don't know enough about Eames Bradley and I don't know enough about legacy issues to comment upon that. Um, I came into the Assembly in November 14, and maybe I should have been keeping closer watching that, but I don't consider myself uh, knowledgeable enough to comment on those matters. What I would say is this, the war is over. Uh, if you can't accept that, uh, we can't make any progress. I have said previously, Anne Graham, the sister of Edgar Graham, who was shot dead by the IRA uh, in the early 80s, Queen's University, a law lecturer, and uh, I have said to Anne, uh, we will never agree about the past. She wants me to condemn that dreadful, dreadful killing of her of her brother and to condemn the IRA. And I'm saying, Anne, that isn't going to happen. Um, we're never going to agree about the past. Uh, but can we find a way to, to build for the future? And I, I know I'm not suggesting we find that way because she has still on a mission to, to vindicate her, her brother and she's quite entitled to do so. I'm sure he's very proud of her. But she did a very uh, bold thing, I thought. Bold as in, as in a brave thing. I came into Fitzroy Church um, Presbyterian Church in the university area, uh, at a service and sat down and she put out her hand and said, I'm welcoming, welcoming you to Fitzroy. She said, I'm welcoming, welcoming you because the IRA killed my brother. And that's a big statement. That's a big statement of uh, grace and uh, forgiveness. Um, and 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 you know she's 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 her own views. I don't want to misrepresent her because she's she still is on on all our cases as it were. But uh, there for me is is a, an act of peacemaking that I could never hope to emulate, um, and we have to learn from. So we're gonna we're gonna have to find a way to deal with the terrible hurt uh, that we have suffered. And um, I think that Stormont House we laid the mechanisms, but it's a, it is it is a matter of the heart, and um, uh, people finding peace, feeling they've had justice for their loved ones. That's a that's a, a, a path everybody has to choose themselves. Emma Rogan just left the room here, whose father was shot dead in Logan Island, uh, and as we know, one of the most egregious examples of collusion during the uh, conflict. Um, and I don't know how she finds her peace with that all all those sort of things, but uh, somehow or other, we're going to have to. Uh, find a way through this. I, I've said publicly, you know, the, the, the past will will kill us all. The past because the ability to destroy this uh, peace process. So it's vital we find a way a way through it. Um, and and uh, I'm I'm no pioneer in these matters, but you know, one of the things I, 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 I do try to do, and I probably did a little bit better in the past, is I, I try to go to Protestant churches, because interestingly, I've got high regard. I'm not a person of faith, but I've high regard to the, uh, of the Protestant churches in particular and the work they do with uh, wounded and vulnerable people and those on the margins. Um, but there's another little thing uh, when you go into a church. 
that people feel obliged to welcome you. So I've been to church with the Reverend Mervyn Gibson, who's a chaplain of the Orange Order and the former special branch man. And uh, Mervyn would always welcome me very warmly to service. And, and that's an interesting discovery for me, you know, that um, instead of trying to meet people uh, away from the church, if you, if you want to try and find a way to... I know it's break the ice or it's to seek seek the the security uh, of uh, an encounter where you can maybe make some progress rather than being a, a surety match. Actually going to church with people uh, is, is in my view, a good way to do it. It has to be done sincerely and with authenticity and genuine. But I have found that that, that going to church is, is uh, one way that you can try to learn a bit more about people and try and understand a perspective. And at the same time, you know you won't be, you won't be chased. That's an interesting point because uh, when I interviewed Bishop Ken Good a few months ago, he one of the points that he made is that for a Christian society in Northern Ireland, society was pretty bad at forgiving, which is a fundamental principle of Christianity. Yeah, and I'm, I'm, no, I'm no authority in these matters, and it's easy to say that you forgive if you haven't uh, lost someone very close to you. Uh, I think what I... So I, so I don't think it's that's a, a statement I have to make or should make, but I do think I have to make a statement the war is over. And for me, that means that the, the slate is clean. Uh, people are absolutely entitled to deal with the past... Hopefully through those mechanisms that we read on, we'll come back. Um, but for me, uh, if you were going to continue to fight the battles of the past today, uh, and I think the DUP did bring that into government, that they thought, no, no, we're still at war. We're going to beat these people. You know, maybe it was a stalemate at the during the conflict. But we're going to beat them now. If you bring in the the, the war mindset into government or into any any type of society, it's not going to work. Uh, you're not going to make peace. You're not going to make... Uh, uh, progress. So that's something that I always said. You know, when people say, you know, this week someone said, "Well, look, there's a meeting taking place in such and such a place." But did you know this is the 27th anniversary of the Sean Graham bookmakers atrocity, and that place is named in the Ombudsman's report as the place where the killers went to and were cheered and celebrated and so on. And I've just made my peace with all that. Um, we have to accept that the war is over and that uh, you have to deal with everybody uh, on an equal basis, on a fair basis, and you have to say that the, the, uh, uh, it's, it's, a new, it's a new start. So, that, and I, I am at that place, and it's, it's much easier actually just to go into a room and say to people, so-and-so was responsible for killing a certain person in our neighbourhood 30 years ago, and therefore we must make sure that we continue to uh, pose their group and to pick at them and to not let them be heard and, and you know it's easier to do that but I think there's no future in that I think the war the war is over but if there's one conversation that is perhaps even more difficult to have than dealing with the past it's dealing with the future and the constitutional question so how can that conversation take place in a way that is not threatening well I think that that is a threatening conversation because if you are uh, a unionist uh, if you're in the DUP if you have uh, built your uh, success or your progress on discriminating against others uh, then losing the right to repress others is a threat um, and I've seen this in Belfast City Council 
when I went to home when I was a boy, 80% of the representatives in Belfast City Council were unionists. Today, unionists have like 22 or 23 out of 60. And, and do you actually feel oppressed today? Oh, absolutely. I think, and I'm not going to accept that my children, or hopefully my grandchildren, will live in a society where they are treated as second-class citizens, where they, their, their identity uh, is not afforded a parity of esteem. Uh, I see and I saw in government people who came to the government table with orange-tinted glasses that looked at every proposal that came through. The only proposals they scrutinised, because you know they didn't scrutinise the RHI proposals, the only thing they scrutinised is anything that might benefit uh, Catholic, nationalist, working-class communities, or that might benefit ex-prisoners from the Republican community, or might benefit Irish language speakers. Um, so I, I, I've seen that, and we, we battled that, and there's still this society, in my view, has a long way to go if you, uh, for before we have equality and especially parity of esteem and people want respect and uh, you know I, 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 I'm from uh, an era where we got education um, that we uh, are absolutely resolved to ensure that we're at the table and that our children are at the table and there's no way I'm going to accept anyone treating our, our children like rogues and renegades or like crocodiles uh, and that is why we're at the impasse we're at because the DUP will believe until they no longer have the numbers that that's the way to treat people and I see this in unionist controlled councils it's, it's still despicable, the bullying culture which exists against uh, uh, small minority Catholic communities. So, yes, yes. Do I feel oppressed? I, I, I think I wouldn't allow anyone to oppress me. Do I believe there are people who would like to treat me as a second-class citizen? Every day, I'm in Stormont, Parliament. I don't see one word of Irish anywhere. Uh, it's like a non-language. Uh, I don't exist. Uh, as, as Langston Hughes said, you know, I, they want me to eat in the kitchen. They, they got the wrong century. And... Uh, they will. They, they. They. I will be making sure that everybody uh, treats the people who vote for me with the respect they deserve. So your view would be that it's not possible to have the future conversation, the conversation about the constitutional rearrangements, without it being threatening to many people. So how should the conversation take place anyway? Well, I think it has to. It has to first of all, it has to be allowed to take place. So those who uh, have uh, who, who have come from a culture of domination, uh, who have had their way, who have used their numbers to oppress others, I'm t- talking particularly of the DUP. Uh, now they're saying, no, you can't have the conversation. Uh, it's irresponsible to have the conversation. Is what the voices from Dublin are saying. So the first thing we're going to say very loudly is, we will have this conversation. We are allowed to talk about the future of our own country and the future of our community, which is as um, Protestant and Catholic and the centre. So that's the first thing. I think we have to give a pledge that we will do so in a responsible, sensible, rational, respectful manner. Uh, and that means that you don't uh, go out and try and incite fears that uh, you don't go out to try and uh, uh, appeal to base instincts, whether they're sectarian or other uh, partisan political instincts. Um, but, you know, uh, if, if those who want inequality to persist, or those who want to hide the truth about the past, those who want to live in a society where, uh, as, as basically the DUP said at the talks, we don't mind the Irish language, you know, we don't see it, don't hear it. Uh, people who want to live in that, uh, and, and who think it's... 1919 rather than 2019 or 1969 rather than 2019 I can't help them I I cannot uh, give them an an assurance except that I will work to end that 
that that that that that pattern of discrimination and that society of discrimination. So it's going to be a tough conversation. Uh, no tougher, I suspect, than the conversation taking place in America at the minute between Democrats and Republicans, with the Democrats now trying to get back into power. That's a that's a polarised and hard conversation. I think it's harder than our conversation. But this is going to be a tough conversation. And we've had it in Belfast City Council. We've had it. Because when the unionists ruled the roost, the rest of us couldn't breathe in that place. Could not breathe. I was banned from committees. Um, I was, uh, when, when, when they set up subcommittees and banned me from committees, when we attended the uh, subcommittees, we were told we couldn't put our chairs at the table. When we put our chairs at the table, they wouldn't sit beside us. When we tried to speak at meetings, etc., 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 and we used the courts to end that. Courts are being used today to ensure equality for uh, people, and including in many Irish language cases. So, um, the if, if and there's two ways to do this. Unions can hide their head in the sand and say, as they're doing with Brexit, we're not going to discuss this, it's going to go away, uh, or they can face up to the fact that there is going to be, in my view, a unity referendum, and, and that could win, if we can marshal our arguments, that could win, because there are now within the unions community some people who don't, don't sign up to this 19th century fundamentalist, anti-rights, uh, conservative uh, worldview, which is being espoused by the DUP, so we have a chance, like never before, to um, win a unity referendum and of course the big question as well the 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 the, the uh, uh, ghost in the machine is now that people are going to be it looks like put out of the European Union I think there will be people who will say uh, those who want to have this so-called uh, renewed United Kingdom there are people going to say no no we'd much rather be part of the European Union and I think that's going to add to the vote so these are changed times the balls the balls in the slate states and it's up to those who who uh, don't want to have the argument they're going to have to face up to it. Martina Muller, thank you very much indeed. Martina Muller there. Uh, Paul, Martin also started talking, or was talking about policies and the need for policies to, from the top to exemplify a shared and inclusive approach, a bit of a lead by doing, practice what you preach. That's right. I mean, I, I, I do get this sense of frustration from Marcin that he wants politicians to be leading and he recognises that, you know, that our cadre of leadership isn't showing leadership. Mm-hmm. And actually, you know, that within the parties, a number of the parties are frustrated by this and, and why the society is desperately frustrated that we're not having leadership. Yeah. And it touched on the past as well and, and how we're going to deal with it. That's right. I mean, I, I, I didn't really feel completely satisfied with the way Martin addressed that, to be honest. But, mm. uh, yeah, he was saying, well, we're never going to agree about the past. So, you know, let's recognise that. But the war is over, you know, mm. full stop, clear. Okay. Let's agree about the future, I think, is part of the stuff. Yes, that's, that's right. As well. Yes. Okay. Well, that's that for this episode of the Forward Together podcast. Um, you can subscribe to this podcast through your podcast app or you can access all episodes through hollywelltrust.com or sluggerotool.com. So that's it. Thanks to Martin for taking part. Thanks to Jacqueline McKay and Emer Doherty for production support. And thanks for listening. The Community Relations Council for Northern Ireland supports this podcast through its media grant scheme and core funding programme.